I nearly had a disaster this morning. I'm sorry about that noise. Um, my battery here just about died on, well, it did die on me. It, I mean, it's totally dead. And I've been using it, this computer, just fine. And uh, I'm not sure what happened, but when you unplug it, I mean, if you unplug it, it's there's no battery. It just dies immediately. So here I am working away, and I just unplug it and bring it in here, and I bring the plug, plug it back in. Everything's working fine. But then I unplugged it. I went over to hook it up to the printer. It was going to print my notes off, and it wouldn't. It just kept locking up on me. It wouldn't do anything. So I was getting desperate because I didn't have my notes written down anywhere. Nothing. No, not even any chicken scratch. So um, let me see. Right now, it's not not still not doing right. It's giving me fits. So I'm gonna take you as far as I can go. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to thank you for the wonderful Christmas gift. It was very much appreciated. I didn't realize when I said you've already you go exceedingly beyond, and you really went beyond uh, this year, and we appreciate it very much. We want to acknowledge our guest over here, Sese. Did I say it right? Okay, from Sudan. He's here studying in the states, studying to be a boilermaker. You should go to Purdue. They're boilermakers. Yeah, up in Indiana, the Purdue Boilermakers. Yeah. So I asked him, well, that's, I said, that's, that's pretty good money. He said, well, i got to finish school. I'm in apprenticeship right now. Then to get big money, he said. <laughs> so he's working on it. And uh, also, I have somewhere, oh, here it is. I have a letter here from John Bales, who spoke for us back in August, I think it was. And says, please forgive me for not writing this sooner. I would like for, you to, uh, like for you to share with the church that we are very grateful for the generous gift they made to the Receding America Fund. This is a great blessing to our ministry and to those we are assisting in planting churches. Thus far, we have three new church plants scheduled for 2010 and two other families that are on deputation raising support to plant churches. So just thought I'd share that with you. Also, of course, don't forget... Um, got some important events coming up. Next Sunday is going to be a really big one. Uh, that's Tori's birthday. She'll be five. So we we I built I told her I said hey next Sunday you know when we come to church next Sunday is your birthday. She goes oh we're gonna have a party at church. I said yeah the whole church is going to sing happy birthday for you. Oh man she's all excited now. Can't wait for next Sunday to get here. So. Next Sunday, and then, of course, Christmas will be here, and then we'll be heading off to Indiana. We'll come back on Thursday and Friday night. We'll meet here and have some food. I don't know if we have to sign up or do anything special for it, but I, I know I worried the first one, and it was all for nothing. We had more food than we could eat, and Janet and I, I said, you better take something extra just in case. <laughs> we didn't need to do that. Boy, we had more than we could eat, so it worked out great. So we'll plan on that and whatever else we're going to do that evening. All right, here we are. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. 
Amos chapter 3, verse 7. I have no clue what I'm going to do here. <laughs> I can't scroll this thing down. It's just, you know, the little hourglass is just sitting there humming away. And it's, won't let me. Well, I can. You all want to sit around and wait while I do that? Um, it won't. It wouldn't take a long time, and I'm probably going to try that. Um, it doesn't take a real long time, but because it's hanging up on me, it's got these little error messages here, and so I'm going to write a couple notes down here. Six and seven and eight. Okay. And we'll just see what happens. I'm going to give it a whirl here. It says in and out. Yeah, man. When the termites ate his scroll or something. Okay, Amos chapter 3 and we're verse 7. Um, we want to have... Um, you know, let's just read it. It says, Surely... The Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. All right, so what I want to talk about this morning is the, this thing about, well, a couple things here, the secrets. Matter of fact, this word translated, but, some people translate it as accept or save and it is translated that way at other places so you could read it this way surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveal his secret unto his servants the prophets and Rotherham in his translation says this surely my Lord Yahweh will do nothing except he have disclosed his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now I want to talk a little bit about what it was and what it means for God to reveal his secrets. Because he, he doesn't do that to just anybody. Um, Brown, Driver, and Briggs, that's a, that's a lexicon. Hebrew lexicon. And the, he, they say there that this word secret means a counsel. And so when we think about this word secret as the one we're going to be talking about here most of the time, you think about people in an intimate setting, in a private setting, in that kind of a counsel. And so it says it's a counsel of familiar conversation or familiar converse, intimacy. And it can mean intimacy with friends. It could mean intimacy with God, as we're going to look at this morning. It's from a root that means to sit or fix yourself close together, to sit in a conclave. So wrapped up in this whole word of secret has to do with Two people or more meeting together in a close, intimate affiliation and sharing intimate things, personal things, pr 
private things. And so that's what we're talking about here. And that's what Amos was speaking of when he says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing except he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now, of course, you know that in Amos's day and for several centuries prior to that, several centuries after that, there were false prophets in the land. Quite frankly, there's plenty of false prophets around the land today. And as we will see, they are not the ones who have met in the secret chamber with the Lord God. And they didn't get their message from him. Now, Strong's, in his dictionary, he says this word secret has carries with it the idea to sit down together. And the best way that we can really understand what all that means is to think of a Middle Eastern context. Think of a tent. Because that is where, or of course you and I would think of our home. That's where the private things take place. That's where the private conversations occur. Or think of it this way. Someone shows up on your doorstep. And it's a salesman. You don't just immediately invite them in, nor do you start discussing secret matters or private matters with a stranger. But if a familiar friend comes by to pay a visit, you invite them in, you open your door, you offer them a place to sit. You might even retreat to a, a, a room that is more suitable for private conversation, and there you talk. And that's the setting, that's the picture you have in this word secret chamber or secret council. The secret things of God. And you meet in a tent, in a private place. And, of course, in a tent with, and we, I, I mentioned, I just, I didn't really intend this, but a week or so ago I mentioned about tents and somehow some of them are quite elaborate. But it was their living quarters. And they would, now the Bible translates it as a couch. It's not a couch like you have in your home, but it would be a, a low, a very low cushion, uh, matted uh, thing that would lie on the ground. And, of course, there would be furs on the ground and, and hides to protect from the sand or the soil, the dampness and so on. And then they would have pillows and they would recline on those. And they would recline, you know, somewhat close together. And obviously, if you were going to have a conversation, you wouldn't both face the same direction, would you? You would face opposite directions. You would face each other. And so again, that is a thought, see, that's inherent in this whole idea of a secret council. You're face to face, meeting with someone, conversing. Now, turn with me to Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6. Now, we really got a lot of verses to go through, so I'm not going to hang around 
on some of these a lot. Numbers 12, 6. And you might want to be turning over to Exodus 33. Have your finger waiting there. In Exodus, or Numbers 12, 6, the Lord says here, And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth. There they are. Picture them in this tent. Picture Moses meeting the Lord in the tent of meeting. Or maybe in his own private tent. And they're face to face. I will speak with him mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, then, were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Of course, he's talking about uh, Miriam and Aaron. Or, um, not Aaron. Uh, it is Aaron, yeah. Miriam and Aaron, when they spoke against the Lord. Now you just think about what's going on here. Here is Moses receiving his instructions from the Lord in these private meetings, face to face with the Lord. And then walks someone else and basically they're just saying, who do you think you are? You think you're the only one that meets with God? You think you only of all the people of Israel get your instructions from God? What about us? Of course, the Lord had a few words with Miriam and Aaron, didn't he? And they left them as lepers because they sought to elevate themselves to the place that Moses had, a distinguished position, by the way. You don't, in Exodus 33, in verse 11... And keep your finger in Numbers for just a second. But in Exodus 33 and verse 11, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. That's the kind of intimacy, that is the kind of relationship that Moses carried on with the Lord. And so this message that God gave uh, to Moses didn't come from a dream as other prophets received them, didn't come from a vision, as others received a word from the Lord, but it came from personal, intimate contact, face to face. And most likely, I would venture to say, and on all of those, as far as I would know, all took place within the context of a tent. Of course, the Bible translates it sometimes tabernacle. It's the word for tent. And back there in Numbers chapter 12, in the third verse, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. We'll find later on meekness, humility, has something to say concerning the person with whom God meets. Now, turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 6. And I just want to look at a couple verses here, three or four or something, concerning this word secret. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 11. 
and also over in chapter 15. In Jeremiah 6, 11, it says there, Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the aged with him that is full of days. Now you probably wonder, where is it? this word secret in here? Well, you see, it's the, it's the assembly of young men. So this word is talking about, has a heavy influence on the idea of intimacy. The assembly of young men, those who chose to hang out together, in other words, as we'd say it today. They hung out together. They conversed with one another. They shared their thoughts with one another. You know, we could do that today, whether it had to do with politics or or uh, government or the Bible or theology or whatever it might be. It's just hanging out together, sharing your thoughts with one another. Those that you regularly hold company with. Look over at chapter 15 and verse 17. Here we see a negative connotation used here. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. In other words, he just simply refused to join company with those that mocked. This word assembly again. I I sat not in the assembly of the mockers. Psalm 55. There's going to be several passages to look at here in the Psalms. And I want to look first at Psalm 55. (coughs) If you gave any immediate thought to it, you would think Psalms. Psalms are written by, obviously, men who walked with God. Men who joined, uh, enjoyed an intimate association with the Lord. So, I think when we look at this, we ought to expect, right up front, to find references to this enjoyment of men with God in the secret chamber, in the private place, and enjoying this personal conversation with the Lord. Verse 14, Psalm 55 and verse 14. Now, of course, we're not talking in every instance here. In this one, this is David talking about the uh, sharing confidentialities with a friend who betrayed him. He says, we took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Now let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. We don't have time to go into the whole thing, but he found betrayal amongst those he companied with. So here it's just used in an innocent fashion of, again, those he held company with those he shared personal things with. Psalm 64. Just a few pages over. (coughs) Psalm 64 and verse 2 says, Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked. Now that's pretty easy to take. Wickedness is usually planned in private. 
It's the council of men who meet in a private place to prepare or plan their dastardly deeds. And here the psalmist is, is saying, hide me from such and from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. Separation. He desired to have no part with them. Sort of like, so you get the idea here that this intimacy is a real genuine closeness. Um, we won't turn there for the moment, but you remember um, when John and, and the disciples were meeting together with the Lord and he was reclining on a couch? And what does it say there concerning John? He, Him who leaned upon his breast. Now that was real close. But it's the same picture. It's the idea of when they met together, when they were in this secret close company, there was a, a certain intimacy or sharing that went on between them. Now, back here in Psalms, in Psalm 25, Psalm 25 And Psalm 27, mine are on the same page, Psalm 25 and verse 14. Psalm 25, verse 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. It would, it would seem to me to tell us right up front that just coming to church you know and just hearing preaching week in and week out is not what he's talking about here now this kind of thing can take place at church in the company of familiar friends and those who love the Lord and really fear him we might hear the voice of God today and he would intimately disclose or share the personal private things that nobody else will know about. And, you know, you can't even teach about those things. You couldn't even come in here and have a Sunday school class or I couldn't stand here and preach about it. I'm talking about the things that just happen when you are spending time with the Lord alone in prayer or in his and in his word and he speaks to your heart and you see some things in scripture that just cheer your soul that lift your spirit and you could do your you could do your best to try to explain it to somebody else and it just won't come out right you cannot do it because it's just yours and the Lord's. It's nobody else's. Over in Psalm 27 and verse 5, look what it says there. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. That word pavilion is, you know, it's just a, it's not a tent. Or it could be, but it's most likely, and usually it's just a, 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 a thrown together hut. You know, like the, the booze that they made at the Feast of Tabernacles, something constructed you know, like that. Just a place where somebody might 
put some palm fronds together and build them a little private place where they could kind of get inside and just be alone to close out the world around them and meet with the Lord. That's what the word pavilion is there. Don't, don't, think, of, you know, don't think of the, what is it, the first Tennessee pavilion downtown? It ain't nothing like that. No, just a simple little thing. So he says, in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tent shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Now, of course, the tabernacle itself was a tent. And so he's talking about here this place of intimacy. And we're leading up to something, and we will eventually we'll get there. Psalm 31. In verse 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20, Psalm 31 and verses 19 and 20. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that must trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them, the ones that fear thee, in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion, or this little hut, from the strife of tongues. Does God watch out over us? Does God have his guardian angels over them, as Hebrews 1.14 says, who are about to inherit salvation? He certainly does. For the one who knows him and fears him. Psalm 81, verse 7. Thou callest me in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder, and I proved thee at the waters of Meribah. One more little instance. But turn over to one now, just a few pages over, Psalm 91. That is very, very familiar to you. Psalm 91 and verse 1. You probably could quote the verse. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place. The place of intimacy shall abide, shall find his restful place where he remains and stays under the shadow of the Almighty. Protection, security, blessing is to be found under the wings of the Almighty. Now, let's go back and look at Job. Job was a man who knew God in the secret place. Boy, did he ever suffer some adversity, though. But did he know the Lord? Job 15. <clears throat> now, we would really have to read all the way down to verse 21 to get the whole context here. We won't take the time to do that. Didn't want to scare you. Let's read the first four verses, though. Then answered... Eliphaz the Temanite and said 
Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Now, you know, you got to get ready here. For 21 verses here, I mean, he just lays into Job and tears him up. He said, Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, thou castest off fear and restrainest prayer before God. For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. I can't get over this. Thine own mouth condemns thee, and not I. Yea, thine own lips testify against thee. Art thou the first man that was born, or wast thou made before the hills? <laughs> you think you're the only one now, Job, that knows how to walk with God, to talk with God, and to meet with him? It just sounds like Miriam and Aaron again, doesn't it? Hast thou heard the secret of God? Aha. Uh -huh. You've been in that secret place, Job? You've heard those intimate things from God? You're making that claim? And dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? You think you're the only one, Job? For what knowest thou that we know not, and what understandest thou which is not in us? Now, you might get the idea here that this is some kind of secret esoteric knowledge that belongs only to a certain few. And in a sense, that would be true. Because we're talking about the intimate things, the personal things. But we're not talking here about the, the, the knowledge that the Scriptures impart. That's freely open and available to anybody who wants to seek them out before the Lord. But we're talking here about those things that God shows you for your own benefit in that personal secret place. Look at uh, chapter 19, Job 19, and verse 19. Look at this interesting phraseology here. All my inward friends, my secret friends, all my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. Well, it sounds like the psalmist, and it sounds like the Lord himself. And quite frankly, that sounds like the person who seeks to live and walk before the Lord today will experience the same things. Look at Job 29. In chapter 29, verse 1, he says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness. In other words, those days, you know, when, when God's favor was upon him. Of course, he felt like God had abandoned him at this point after all the things that had happened to him. So in verse uh, 4, he says, As I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tent, my tabernacle. The secret of God. Job himself, which by the way, 
Many think and probably was the oldest book in Scripture. In other words, back earliest in time, not necessarily the oldest one written. And Job knew what it was to meet God in the secret place, in his tent, where the intimacy was. And that word youth, as it I was in the days of my youth, is literally in the harvesting of crops. And the harvesting of crops was the time when crops were ripe or mature. And Job is longing for that day. Back, he says, in the days of my ripened maturity, when God was meeting with me in the tabernacle, in the tent. Look back now, uh, or look ahead, I guess we've got to go back now, to Proverbs chapter 3, and verse 32. Proverbs 3.32. It says, Therefore the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. And that means those who walk, the right word righteous means those who walk uprightly. Or walk, the old English way was those who walk right-wise. Rightly. In Matthew chapter 6, and we don't turn there because I'm going to read these and then we're going to go somewhere else. But it says, and the Lord was giving his instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. He said concerning the giving of alms. He says that thine alms may be in secret, that thy father, which sees in secret... Himself shall reward thee openly. You see, there's such a thing as privacy with God. In verse 6, he says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. It's the secret chamber. The word closet is the secret chamber, which was, again, it could be a hut. It could be um, in, in, a, in, in the, um, well, you know, uh, socially speaking, there was the time when, they lived in, in tents, but then later on as they built houses, and you remember the Israelites, typical houses were built in a square with an open spot in the middle. And on the ground floor, they would just simply have a storeroom, a private chamber where they could retreat to have time alone with the Lord. And that's what he's talking about here when you're in the closet doesn't mean literally in a closet, just when you're spending your private, personal time with the Lord, wherever that is. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And of course, there's a third time. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And so you see three basic relationships here. Almsgiving has to do with others. When you enter into the closet, your, that is your relationship to others. When you enter into the closet to pray, that's dealing with your relationship with God. And then when you fast, that's concerning yourself. And in all three of those, you know, he's talking about the secret things which done in secret 
he says, will be rewarded openly. Turn with me to John chapter 4, or 1 rather. John chapter 1. I have made reference to this verse before, and I think it's appropriate at this point here. John chapter 1, verse 48. The Lord was calling his disciples. And one of those was Philip. And Philip, it says in verse 45, went and found Nathanael and said, We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. Well, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Or deceit, a pure, holy, godly Israelite. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, Nathanael understood that. He understood the implications of what the Lord said to him. Notice his response. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Why would he, just because he said that, why would he respond in such a fashion? Simply because meeting under the fig tree was a place for privacy. It was a place where they would often go again to meet with the Lord, to worship God. And here, Nathanael knowing what he had been doing under the fig tree, worshiping the Lord. And then Jesus said, when you were down there, I saw you. I knew you were there. And his immediate response was, oh, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You had to be because no one else could have known that. Revelation chapter 15. We're almost done. Revelation chapter 15. <clears throat> Verse 5. It says there, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. The tent, that is the temple of the tent of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their uh, breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Now, with that thought in mind, just turn a few pages over to chapter 21. And verse 3. Verse 3 says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tent of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them 
and be their God. And he will wipe away all tears from their eyes and so on. Go back to verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. You know, some think that the, the, the tent, this tabernacle of God that's being spoken of here is the New Jerusalem. It's the place where God will meet with us in intimacy and share his things with us like a familiar friend. Just like you might sit down with someone and have a cup of coffee and just talk over some personal private things. Things that are meaningful to you. I've only got one more verse I want to read. Back in Hebrews chapter 13. Where it says there, yeah, excuse me, verse 10. Hebrews 13, verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Now, he's not talking about the servants of the Levites and the priests who ministered in the tabernacle. He's just talking about the Israelite who desires to worship the Lord, who serves in the tabernacle, in the tent. In other words, this word serve, carrying that connotation of serving by worshiping there, meeting the Lord there. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve there in the tabernacle in that heavenly tabernacle. Because if you just think back on the book of Hebrews, you know that the earthly tabernacle is compared with the tabernacle which is in heaven. The tabernacle which is in heaven is symbolically where you and I, when we bow before the Lord, when we seek to worship Him, when we meet with Him, that's where we're meeting with Him before his throne of grace. By the way, when you think of David's throne, David's throne, you remember, there was no king's palace built in his day. His throne was in a tent. And so when we meet with the Lord, when we come before him at that throne of grace, we're meeting in a special place. And ultimately, one day, when we look forward to the coming of the Lord and the establishing of his kingdom upon this earth and that new city, that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And those who have the privilege of entering in, going in and out, will have that privilege of knowing the Lord in a very intimate Desirable fashion. But 
I said I wasn't going to read any more verses, but I did pray and ask the Lord if I need to read anything or think of anything, Lord, just bring it to mind. And so I've got something here I want to read. But notice over in Revelation chapter 21. Go back over there again with me if you would. Because I feel like I should read these. In verse 6, he says, And he said unto me, It is done. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. That is, the invitation is open. Knowing these things that I've just shared with you in this book of Revelation here, the Lord is saying, The invitation is open. I will give unto him that is a thirst and of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, but, outside that new Jerusalem, he says, the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They're outside the bounds. The walls, the gates of that new Jerusalem. Unable to enjoy the bliss and the blessedness of sharing in that holy intimacy with the Lord God. And so, when you think about a tent, when you think about meeting with your intimate friends, I trust you'll think about what it means to meet with the Lord and to share in those private things. You know, and they don't, they don't happen every day. At least in my case, they don't. <laughs> there just seems to be special times when the Lord will just speak to your heart in a special way. Something you're looking at in Scripture. Something you're meditating upon. And all of a sudden, and we, we say it this way, light just dawns upon you. And you see something there that you've never seen before. Something that warms your heart, fills your mind with knowledge, stirs your soul to action, to doing something, and moves you to a greater service. I pray that we'll all be like that, that we'll all seek those intimate moments. And enjoy those great blessings because there were many, many of those saints of olden days, particularly as we looked at the ones in the Old Testament, the tent dwellers who enjoyed those personal private times. And we need to have a place where we meet with the Lord as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, how we thank you for this privilege that we have to meet with you, to enjoy the intimacy of God and the things that you promised to us. And Father, we, we don't want to be oblivious to those things, nor do we want to be careless about them or be presumptuous about them, but to treat them as the holy things they are and to understand that um, those you choose to meet with 
Um, it just there, there are special moments, there are special requirements concerning um, humility and meekness and holiness that are dependent upon and, and, and required of us before you would be willing to meet. You don't meet in the tents of wickedness, nor do you take counsel from them. And so let us be careful, Father, though, with those whom we associate with and how we walk. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we want to just sing as we do a brief hymn of invitation and give you an opportunity to come if you'd like to this morning.